0: Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you the teaching from our central campus. We hope it's an encouragement to you. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Definitely is first day of class vibes for me, and I'm the teacher. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying. Yeah, there we go. I'm about to break out a quiet coyote here, too much socializing, (laughs) and for those of you that are concerned, that was not the kind of the devil horns, that was this this quiet coyote. Oh, it's working. Uh, Hey, good morning, Anchor. So glad to be with you this morning. morning. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and it's super fun to be here celebrating four years of God's faithfulness, isn't it? It's awesome. Uh, you know, what I wanna do is share a little bit of the anchor story, because I know that there's some of us in here that like have here for the very first time. In fact, I talked to somebody before the gathering started and they're like, this is my first time ever at church, right? And I know there's some of us that have been here for a long time and, uh, and I don't know what to do with that loud noise, but it was amazing. <laughs> Bless the lungs that let it happen. I know some of us have been here for a long time and we're like, maybe haven't really heard all of the bits in the stories. And so what I, what I want to do is I'm going to share a little bit of the anchor story, which is different from how we typically do it in this part of the gathering. Usually we open up a scripture and we kind of like slowly go through this passage and we will look at scripture and we will go through a passage. But I want to start sharing on this fourth birthday uh, just about the anchor story because it's significant to look back into the past. It's significant to look back in the past and see marks of God's faithfulness. When you look back in the past and you see the evidence of God's faithfulness, you can look into the future with confidence. And so I want to do that corporately for us. So we can look back at the history of Anchor and see the evidence of God's faithfulness. And so we can look into the next four years, the next 10 years, the next 20 years and look forward, whether it's for our personal lives or Anchor as a community with confidence. Does that sound good? And also I want to be careful because, you know, I'm sharing my part, a lot of my angle on the Anchor story. But God has just sought fit to put me in a certain place in this anchor thing, and you have a place in anchor thing. You have a, your own anchor story. So if you're here up front, you would share your anchor story, and it would be incredibly significant and important and different from my angle, because we all have our angles and we all have our stories with what God has done in this place and in this community. But for me, the anchor story begins in my backyard in Ellensburg, Washington in 2016, and I'm working, doing something like a homeowner project in my backyard, which means a couple things. It means that I probably had to repair it again later on. (laughs) It seems like those are the things that I'm fixing most often at our current house as well, the things that I tried to fix before. (laughs) But it also means um, that I'm mixing in prayer and kind of work with a dose of podcast. Prayer for me is oftentimes like a run-on sentence. You start it, it, trails off, and then you pick it up again. And for me, working in the backyard, especially from my times remembering this in Ellensburg, it was like that. And we were facing, my wife and I and our two kids, this question of what was happening in the future for us. Where there's a lot of good things happening in that moment and God was kind of growing the ministry that I was helping lead and it was really fun and it was really awesome, but we also sensed that God was inviting us to something different in the future. I talked to some friends and some mentors about this, some wise counsel, and asked them to pray for our, us and our family and asked if them to give me any feedback and give me any critique or ask questions, all of that stuff that you do in times of transition when you're seeking God's path. And through those conversations with those mentors, really there's these two opportunities that kind of arose. People suggested them, hey, consider this as maybe what God might be calling you and your family to. And the first was this, like, established job at this established church that had benefits and, like, you know, like a retirement plan. And, like, it was kind of the thing that dad would be proud of, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> hey, dad, I got the job. Oh, good. Does it have benefits? Yes. Does it have a retirement plan? Yes. Good job, you know? And then there was this vague possibility of stepping to this uncertain predicament to plant a church in Tacoma. I'm out there in my backyard, working on this project that is doomed to be repeated again. And these two words bubble up in my head. Beautiful community. Beautiful community. What would it look like to craft a beautiful community? To not start on someone else's foundation, but to go in and to imagine and dream what God might be doing from the ground up. They captured my attention, those two words. I can't say they were directly from God, but I can say God used them significantly throughout the next few years and up to this present point. And I knew two things. The second, those wor- that word's bubbled up in my head. First, it'd be tough to market that. I mean, can you imagine going up to somebody and saying, hey, I invite you to join my beautiful community. <laughs> Enter cult leader, right? <laughs> It almost did. (laughs) You could be the first. (laughs) It says something more about you than the, you know. (laughs) But then the other thing that was in my head with this phrase, beautiful community, was that like, it was a work that I knew like God had already began in me. You see, I had walked with Jesus at that point for well over a decade, but I had walked with Jesus with insecurities and with shame. I don't know if you've ever done that. And at that point in my life, I was experiencing a level of freedom from those insecurities and shame that I had not experienced until up to that point. And, like, I would describe that experience as beautiful. So, the beautiful community felt like it was something that was bubbling up from what God was doing within me. It was like something I wanted people to experience what I was experiencing healing from shame as they encounter the risen Jesus, a sense of empowerment from the Holy Spirit where they felt only weakness and insecurity, like a deficit taken over by provision. Not our strength, not my giftedness, but God's work. And also I had this sense, like and it's part of me, the family I grew up in, part of what I see in Scripture, but that like the integration of social action, of like concern for the poor and the marginalized needed to always and forever be integrated with the sharing of the gospel. That it's not one thing, but it's both things together. So as I'm out there with the shovel and imagining things, all these things start to come into my head. And as Candace and I talked, my wife, it just became clear that this established job at this established church was not where God was calling us. I fast forward six more months and we're out of my backyard into our living room. You can't, it's nice. We started a young married group and um, we did this very strategic move. If you ever plan a church, this is free tips, you know. Do an f- urgent felt mead like a young married group because everybody's in crisis when you're young and you're married. And if you're not in crisis, you're, you're, you're ignorant. Um, <laughs> some of you felt like your toes were just stepped on there. You're welcome. And then put it with an opportunity. Hey, if you want to stay after the young married group, we're going to be starting talking about this church plant, you know, and there's dessert and stuff. So, you know, you want to stick around? So slowly people started sticking around. At the beginning of this group, we asked people to share what number they were. A three was, I'm all in. I've got my damage deposit. I found a place on Craigslist I'm in. And one was like, don't ask me anything of me. I'm just here for my friend. Most of them were all ones. I think Candace was a one a couple weeks. (laughs) As time developed, some of those ones became twos. Then they started inventing numbers like 2.2. I'm not a two, I'm not a three, I'm a 2.2. And uh, a few more months later, and our family moved over here. A couple months, other people started moving over here. Some of these people lived in Tacoma. Their family, they grew up in Tacoma. Some of them had friends here. Some of them just wanted an adventure with God. You fast forward a couple more months, and we moved out of the living room into the church lobby. It, nothing was renovated. There wasn't anything fancy. There was an aesthetic that we like to say around here that was done in the 90s as an homage to the 80s. And, <laughs> and we had our first interest night. I remember um, like a few hours before realizing two things that we needed to fancy it up with some lavender lemonade. I don't know why lavender lemonade was, I'm like, we gotta, we got to fancy this church thing up. We've got to make people feel like we we got things dialed. So I made Matt get us some lavender lemonade. And second thing I learned was that, or I thought was like, we need some type of way to track these people that are going to come to the interest night. So we printed all these connection cards, rush order from FedEx shop. Came back here with more anxiety in my system than I can remember, wondering if anyone was going to show up. In 20 people did in the lobby. And to our bad job of promoting it with our lavender lemonade and our freshly printed out connection cards. And I remember there in that lobby sharing one thing to the people that maybe had met me once and came on a whim. I read Zechariah 410. Don't despise the day of small things who dares despise the day of small things. Zechariah, if you don't know, the scripture is, he's talking to all these people after the exile happens from Israel and they're coming back and they're looking at these, all of this wreckage. And he looks them in the eyes, people that are wondering if this is even worth it to rebuild the broken cities. And he says, how dare you despise the day of small things? Go back to that picture. Um, this is the people that were there that first night. Um, the population of these people. It's padded by our family. Um, And I can say that the only people that are still a part of Anchor are Matt and Kate and my wife and our our two kids. Um, um, Because it was an interest night and uh, not not a lot of them were that interested, I guess, you know. (laughs) But slowly that group in the lobby moved from an interest night into a core team. And it outgrew the lobby, and eventually moved in here. And we sat around tables. We talked about discipleship. We talked about building a community that is focused on Jesus. And we invested in this thing. Uh, One of our rituals throughout these core team gatherings was uh, putting a big whiteboard up in front. And on the top of the whiteboard, it said Anchor Stories. And the first job everyone of everyone was to come in and write their anchor story down on one of the one through ten. I remember I put ten. I think Matt at one point says, like, are you thinking there will be ten anchor stories? I'm like, well, there's not going to be ten unless we write ten, you know. And an anchor story was like just a glimpse of us living on mission over the last week. They'd summarize them maybe with two words or one word, red hat, blue shirt, Fred Meyer. So who wrote Red Hat? And somebody would stand up. Well, I was in uh, my neighborhood and walking my dog, and somebody said, hey, are you the new neighbor? And I said, yeah, I'm the new neighbor. And then we started talking, and then they asked some question about where I was finding joy, and I thought it was a little weird because I just met this person. But I said, Jesus, on a whim, kind of half nervous, choked out between stuttering comments. And they said, Jesus? And I said, yeah, well, I'm a part of this church. And all of a sudden, we were talking about church, and I mentioned Anchor, and that's my Anchor story. And there's all these things bubbling up these anchor stories well 18 months after that first interest meeting we launched and there was a full house here it's beautiful and there's two things that we can credit for that the first is God if you know me well enough if you know Matt well enough you know that we are not that capable to pull off a full house (laughs) that's not me being unnecessarily self-deprecating it's just reality And second is is that we we made a decision from early on that we were going to see this public gathering that we're doing right now is not the main point. This is important, and we're going to talk more about why it's important. But the main point is not the stage, but it's the chairs. It's you guys, a community of imperfect Jesus followers living for the good of Tacoma and the greater South Sound. And so that's why we met for 18 months. I like to joke that um, Olympia Coffee hadn't opened at that point in Proctor. And it said coming soon on their doors for a long time. And everybody wondered how soon, you know. Uh, (laughs) And we kind of did the same thing with Anchor. We're like, we're going to launch when we're ready, not when people tell us we should. Because we think uh, the, the public gathering is the crown on top of an already existing community. And we moved... From launch, 18 months later, and we announced that we're gonna plant a church because we believe that church growth is great, but it's best when it happens horizontally. So it's not the elevating of one person and one charismatic individual in one place, but that there's kingdom blast radiuses all over the city and all over the region. More impact, better care for the community. Two weeks later, the world got shut down. But before we talk a little bit about that, um, I want to invite, if you're a part of Lincoln, would you stand? Don't be timid. I'm not going to pick on you. It's a weird thing to plant a church during a pandemic. Matt some of your first core team meetings, we met for this church at Central here and for Anchor, the first Anchor in the lobby. You met on Zoom. Unmute. No, 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 you're still muted. <laughs> Jeremy, can you turn your video on? What I want to do is, I just want to invite everyone in the house, and Lincoln, you can clap for yourself, but just could you clap for this faithfulness? <laughs> You can take a seat. So, some of you are like, I just went to Lincoln for the first time last week and I got clapped for. <laughs> we love you. We'll clap for you. Um, now look around. Look around. Everybody look around. Scan the horizon. Scan the, scan the room. Those words that kind of popped into my head and when I was messing up something I should have been fixing up are true. This is a beautiful community. I can say that something I was sheepish about mentioning in public because it felt like I was some type of weird cult leader. (laughs) If I did is actually definably true. I can tell you in the last few years, four years of anchor existing people have come into trust in Jesus for the first time and have experienced radical transformation. I can tell you people that have been burned out on rigid religiosity and have loved Jesus but thinking that they were giving up on the church have found a community here. I can tell you that this is a beautiful community. It's an honor to be a part of it. If you're here for the first time, I'm incredibly biased, but I think you're in a good spot. (laughs) One more thing before we get into the text for a little bit. In the next couple weeks, we're going to be talking more about this but we are on the very, very front edge of planting our third anchor congregation. And that's all I'm gonna say about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you are gonna be hearing more, and the planter uh, and his and his wife are gonna be here in a few weeks, and, and we'll try to get them to Lincoln as soon as possible as well. But we're excited about this because Uh, We are an imperfect community of Jesus followers, our community of imperfect Jesus followers living for the good of Tacoma and the greater South Sound. And we can only effectively live for the good of Tacoma and the greater South Sound at one location or at two locations. But we want to extend the influence of Jesus and his church as we partner with other churches and other Jesus followers, and we're excited about that. So we're doing this harbor-based teaching series. Just quick, I'm gonna just kind of catch you up. This is what a harbor is, and this is what a base is. This is, like what we, this is like what we care about, okay? This is who we are at Anchor, Lincoln Central. This is who we are. A harbor is a place of safety from a challenging environment. We want you to experience a safety, to be known, and to find community. We know that that is necessary as Jesus followers, but we are not just a harbor. We are also a base, While a harbor is a place of safety from a challenging environment, a base is a place of preparation for a challenging environment. And let me just, let's be honest, if this doesn't prepare you to go out to that, then this is slipping on its calling. This, what happens in here, needs to build you up so that you can be sent out into the world. This needs to not just be a harbor, it needs to be a base. And so we're going to be leaning into this idea of being a base here this morning, we're in John chapter 4, and the three weeks that we're doing this teaching series, we're in John chapter 4, and last week we talked about how Jesus, he sat down with the Samaritan woman, and he had this conversation with the Samaritan woman, which is so significant because the Samaritan woman not, is not only Samaritan, which means that the Jews didn't like them, they were kind of religiously heterodox and, and culturally different, and they were the, the weird kind of like part of the family that you didn't want to see at the family reunion, and, and Jesus, though, what does he he do he sits down with the Samaritan woman it was uncommon for a rabbi to not only hang with the Samaritan but a Samaritan woman and then add that on top of the fact that, that as we go through this conversation as we looked at last week this is a woman that has this interesting checkered past that is uncovered in the conversation with Jesus and as she talks with Jesus as what still happens to this day she experiences transformation If you talk with Jesus up to this present day, you will experience transformation. Because there's no one like Jesus. So she experiences transformation, and it's marked by the fact that she is insecure and ashamed. That's why she's going to the well at the middle of the day when no one else is going to be there because it's the Middle East, so hot. You don't want to go there in the middle of the day. She goes there so she doesn't have to see people. She goes to the grocery store in that other town and hides when she sees anybody she recognizes from work. That's what she's doing. And what does she do the second she leaves Jesus? So she leaves her water jug there, which is weird. That's the whole reason you went to the well, lady. And she goes to the people that were once a source of shame. And she says, come meet a man that told me everything I've ever done. I think he's the Messiah. And then the disciples show up. And the disciples are funny because they're like, they went into the store to get some food. Jesus sent them on an errand to get some food. They come back and they're like, Rabbi, Rabbi, you need to get some food. Aren't you? You've got to be, are you hungry? And and Jesus is like in a total Jesus move. He's like, I have food that you know not of. And the disciples are like, this is so like where? Where? Like there's not a restaurant that's near. I don't see any cheese it wrappers around. Like, w- like there's no crumb. You don't. Your breath doesn't smell like anything. Like what? Like how'd you get this food? And Jesus is of course talking about drawing strength from the Father, and not actual food. And then he says this in chapter four, verse thirty-five. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes, and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. And I think the disciples get it. The disciples at that point understand that Jesus is referring to this Samaritan town as a place where the harvest is happening. And I'm sure the disciples understand what Jesus is saying and also maybe silently disagree with what Jesus is saying. Harvest here, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. Here, they're the Samaritans, Jesus. I know you're a rabbi, but let me educate you, okay? These guys are not the ones we like. They're not God's people. They're kind of like, maybe like, like... Kind of God's people, but they're definitely not God's people. Did they, you, you, you know that, Jesus? Let me inform you. Not only that, but like, the, like it's like, you know, like, I mean, you, okay, you had one good interaction with a, with a woman at a well. Like, don't consider that the sample size for the whole thing. And Jesus is like, the harvest is here. The harvest is here. I'm thinking this, and I, I, I find myself, if I can confess, in a situation that is similar to the disciples. I imagine, and maybe just imagine with me, like what if, what if Jesus was saying the place you work, the neighborhood you live in, the place that you find yourself inhabiting through your week, what if Jesus was saying to you, that's where the harvest is? And what if we were saying, "Here? her? <laughs> no way!" I think you zoom out a little bit. And I think we oftentimes are saying this about the place we're living. The church, all the stats I don't know if you've read the church is shrinking. Culture is rapidly changing. Crime is on the rise. Harvest here, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, question mark. And what if Jesus is saying to us here at Anchor, harvest here? What if the church shrinking presented an opportunity for the church to return to its mission of sharing the gospel and loving the poor rather than cozying up to power brokers and trying to control the cultural tide? What if culture rapidly changing created an environment where people were longing for stability in a confusing and uncertain world? What if the rise in crime provided an opportunity for the church to provide shelter to the scared and bring an encouragement that God is our shield? When you look at, um, and maybe you've had friends that have moved away to some place that more reflected their values in the last couple of years. Uh, I read a stat recently that 67% of Seattleites have considered moving in the last couple of years, and instantly I was like, well, that's Seattle, so. <laughs> <laughs> but the honesty and self awareness stepped in a second later, and I realized it's Tacoma, too. But when you look at the stats, more people are still moving here than moving away. The mission field is only growing. The harvest is only potentially increasing. The question is, as Jesus said to the disciples, do we have eyes to see it? Or do we see people as just like, no way, not here. (laughs) No way. The invitation I want to give you right now is to believe the harvest is all around. Since the beginning, we use this language um, of gather and scatter. And we didn't invent it. It comes from Jesus Mark chapter 6, Jesus calls the disciples to himself, and he says, I give you authority to to go and proclaim the kingdom of God and, and, and cast out demons and heal the sick. And the disciples, they go out and they do all that stuff, and then they return and they tell Jesus these stories. And we've tried to weave in intentionally with the anchor stories on the whiteboard, the sense of that's our rhythm, that we Go here. We get built up. And then we go when we're sent out and we come back and share stories of life on mission. And that's what the church is. We say gather because we're not just some people providing a service for some consumers, a religious or spiritual consumer. No, we are a gathering of all God's people around the one Jesus. So if you call it a service, we used to make you do push-ups. We don't anymore because we've become a little bit more grace-filled. But we're a gathering of people around Jesus. And then we scatter out into the world, into our front porches, whether literal or metaphoric, where we meet people and meet people where they're at, believing that the harvest is all around. I mentioned these anchor stories um, as these significant things that uh, when we go on mission, we come back and we tell our stories. We don't have a whiteboard in here, but there should still be something in your heart that says, what story am I telling this Sunday? What story of life on mission am I telling this Sunday? You see, this remarkable thing happens when you believe the harvest is here. You live as if it's true. And you end up bumping into people that ask questions about where do you find joy, even if it's over cucumbers at Fred Meyer or while walking your dog in your neighborhood. And you tell them through stutters and stammers, Jesus, Jesus. you begin a conversation that is pivotal for that relationship and pivotal for your faith formation because maybe for once for the first time you had the audacity and the courage to say that your source of joy comes from from no one in any sense in comparison to who jesus what jesus has done for your life i had a friend who challenged me years ago he said how brian how old are your stories are they two weeks old or two years old I think a lot of times we live, our faith lives on two-year-old or 20-year-old stories. When Jesus is inviting us to two-week-old stories. Believing the harvest is here. How old do we have to get to become so cynical that we think there's no harvest here? Because I haven't seen enough, so I'm not going to believe enough. I think that Jesus is inviting us to childlike faith every Sunday. So that we go out into the world believing this audacious belief that the harvest is waiting for us. Can I tell you my most recent anchor story? I was in my favorite coffee shop this past Monday, so a week ago from tomorrow. I was sitting down. It was just me, the barista, and another guy. He was doodling, and the barista left. And um, it was just me and this other guy. We were across, like. He's on one end of the coffee shop, I'm on the other end. And he says, what do you do for a living? Which is like teeing it up, you know. (laughs) Well, since it's just you and I here in this public place. uh, Now, I know a lot of pastors have different maneuvers here on airplanes. that They don't want to talk and somebody asks what you do. So you just say, well, I'm a consultant thinking that, well, I regularly consult God's word and offer that to other people. Um, But I like saying I'm a pastor. So I said, I'm a pastor. And he said, well, I don't like the church. And I knew we had a barn burner going. (laughs) I said, well, I I can imagine why. Sometimes I wonder if I do too. He said, wait. Wait are you the one at Anchor? And I said, um, Anchor Central, not Anchor Lincoln. Anchor Central. I don't want to be associated with anything other than the name and the same 501c3 and same set. uh. He goes, um, I don't like church. I'm like, you told me. Um, but I like somebody that goes to anchor and he invited me to something you did and I don't like church but I like him so I came and I'm on pins and needles <laughs> I'm like, what, how was it Do you like church now? <laughs> yeah, I, l- I liked it. It was a good time. And um, that's my most recent anchor story. Yeah. <clears throat> I share that for two reasons. One, because if I don't share stories, you, we won't think it's normative. They should be normative. Two, I guess three reasons. Two, because um, it's that simple. It doesn't always end with a confession of faith. Somebody kneeling down in the middle of the office place and Fred Meyer. It begins with the courage to say, I'm a pastor. I'm a follower of Jesus. And goes farther. And the second step is, is keeping the conversation going. Leaning in with love. The third reason I wanted to share that story is because I was so impacted by the fact that this man said, I don't like the church but I like this guy that goes to your church Mm -hmm. and because I like him I dared to try something out that I have said to myself I don't like because I like him. Mm -hmm. What did I hear when I heard that? I heard A person that's wanting to be Jesus. Not like a Messiah complex wanting to be Jesus, but wanting to love like Jesus loves. Wanting to care like Jesus cares. Wanting to sit down like he did with that Samaritan woman and listen to her story and not accuse her like everyone else, but be curious with this holy curiosity and ask questions. Tell me more. I'm interested in you. Let me tell you something. When we ask Jesus to give us strength to do that, miracles happen. The harvest is here. A band can come up at this point. <laughs> doesn't work on our timeline. Relationships never work on our timeline. This is a person that knows that farewell, having or fare, really well. I proposed twice to my now wife. <laughs> Relationships don't work on our timeline. God doesn't work on our timeline. But the harvest is here. The harvest is here. The question is, will we let time turn us into rigid religious people who have stopped believing the harvest is all around us? Or we, will we let the Spirit turn us into people that love like Jesus? Love in the gray spaces where People ask us hard questions, and we don't quite know the answers, but we know that Jesus loves, and so we try with all our might to do as much as we can to show that even if the answers aren't what the person wants, it's love that they feel. Every week, um, we take bread and a cup, and we dip the bread in the cup, and we hear words Like, this is Christ's body given for you. This is Christ's blood shed for you. Because we think the most central thing in all of history and all of our lives is the crazy, crazy thing that God would love us. Though we're broken, fragile, feeble, we're loved sacrificially. We're called to pass on that love everywhere we go. So I invite you to come forward um, here soon. Um, And for the first time or the thousandth time, say yes to that extension of offer of love. You might be in this place not yet a Jesus follower. And I just wanna say, the one who made the world wants a relationship with you. He is not thrown off by anything in your past. He's not intimidated by your lack of belief. He loves you. And you're invited to come forward saying yes to Jesus and taking communion as like a first time Jesus follower. There's also prayer on both sides. And we'd like to say here at Anchor Central, I don't know if you say this at Lincoln, but I like to say, don't, why would you leave with a prayer need when there's somebody that you can pray with? So let's do this. I want to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray over you. You might extend a hand, take a deep breath, be present to the God that wants to meet you right here, right now. God, you have done great things in this place, in this community. We know you'll do great things in the future. We look forward with expectancy, knowing you have been powerful and moved powerful in the past, and we look forward to what you'll do in the future. There is not a closing of the harvest. The harvest is wherever you're calling us to go. You call us to be people that live in this world with love, and we're thankful that you call us by name and to purpose. I am, God, personally thankful for this beautiful community. We pray these things in the powerful, unrivaled, matchless name of Jesus. Amen.